everybody welcome to the bolt from the blue podcast now due to popular demand uh people who are our followers obviously we've got five thousand more than five thousand uh, uh followers on the bolt from the blue twitter account and maybe uh, more than that on the uh, bolt from the blue dot live uh, uh website account you've all been asking us why did we not finish the three-part series on Franny Lee. Well, I tell you guys, <clears throat> we tried to do it several times. It feels like a hex or a curse. Every time we wanted to do it, something came up. But now, finally, finally, we have the chance to do it. And we've got the two guys who are the best to do it. We've got, um, first of all, uh, City Matters Committee Chairman and the king of the Kipax writer, Colin Savage. Colin, how are you doing? How excited are you? I've not made it to the elevated heights of City Matters chairman, but uh, uh, <laughs> no, I'm fine. I say we, we have been looking to do this for, uh, I say, listen to part two, just to refresh my memory. I was just heading off to the USA, so I assume that was two years ago, because I was there this time two years ago for Thanksgiving. Right. So you just... In 2018. No, no, it must have been 2019. Yeah, we've been going for uh, four, four and a half years now, guys, since uh, we were founded by Walter Smith. Um, yeah, I, sorry, I didn't mean to say chairman. I meant to say committee member. And we've also got um, our latest recruit uh, by popular consent, pretty much the majority of 5,000 fans um, demanded you, that. Unanimous, surely, mate. Unanimous. It can't be the majority. It must, must be unanimous. <laughs> we experimented with a few other people. Didn't quite work out, but um, uh, we're very, very happy to have as uh, one of our triumvirate, uh, Bernard Deneen. So, uh, Bernard, you are very familiar uh, with those days, aren't you? You can still remember the days of Franny Lee. It was an interesting time for me as well, mate. That's that's why I'm here. I'd started my own little video shop in the mid '90s, so it was a very interesting time. My family was sort of all the kids were sort of starting high school and stuff like that. So my lad was a, a keen blue like me, you know. Only him and another guy in his class were City fans, so it was a big a big time, and obviously a, a low time for the club, but it's certainly an interesting time, and obviously. I'm standing in for Ray Arnt, who did part one and two, but I'm sure I can add some personal stuff to uh, to this as well from my, my 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 point of view, and obviously thinking back to how my lad's 
suffered as well at this time, not just me. I can remember how my lad suffered. And uh, this season is going to be very interesting because, let's face it, it's probably the, the lowest of the low, wasn't it, as far as seasons go, as far as the history of Manchester City is concerned. Well, we're going to get into this in just a second. But I, uh, I, I've i also had a lot of um, probably about 50 um, people ask me to ask the guys just before we get started on the final part of Franny Lee about this whole hubbub that's come about in the last few hours, uh, Colin, about Ferran Torres wanting to go to Barcelona. Now, we've seen the scathing, uh, really scathing uh, replies to that from uh, our friend um, over at 9320Pod, which is Stefan, who's been very sarcastic about it. Uh, so, yeah, I will, um, I'll, I'll take this, uh, this is not about that, but I will take the opportunity, because you've asked for it, guys, to um, put it to the two fellas and see what they think. We'll start off with Colin Savage. Colin, um, Ferran Torres apparently um, wanting to go to Barcelona, who don't really have the money to sign him, because as as um, as uh, Stefan said, it should really cost, 70 million or more to to hire a guy of that age and of that potential what is it what are your views on that colin well i i was out last night so uh you know literally news started coming through i've not seen much about it but from what i gather this has come from the spanish equivalent of the sun and um I, you know I, I don't think we can place a great deal of credence on it but you never know do you 40 million's low uh, even our friend Tarek Panja, who's not noted for his um, kind of uh, accuracy when it comes to commenting on city matters, uh, not not the committee, but the uh, you know small M. Even he's saying, how is a club like Barcelona, which has got no money, going to afford 40 million, even 40 million? You know, the, the, the swaps being talked about. Um, but no, I, I don't think this is right. All right, let's go over to Bernard. Bernard, uh, as you probably are aware, uh, Stefan has been really, really in attack dog uh, mode on this particular story. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous, mate. Is I mean, he's not he's not played for what how many months has been out. I mean, uh, where's all this coming from? It's just ridiculous. I mean, for any 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 footballer, he want he'll want to get back on the pitch and play. And I'm sure, obviously, you know, if he has been approached or has this idea that he wants to go, I mean, I don't. It's not as though you know. I read between the lines. I was reading it as though, as though. He wasn't happy with how he's being played at the moment. So things like I mean, he's not even playing. I mean, he's not even not even in this. So what's what's he unhappy about at the moment? The, the fact that he's getting paid for doing sod all. I mean, I, I don't understand. So I don't for one one moment believe anything in this. To be honest with you, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because he's been doing okay, hasn't he, for his national team? I wouldn't be surprised if people haven't been sniffing about. But uh, yeah, it's, it's his very early days with City, and I mean, I, I, I would be uh, a bit. Yeah, angry as well. If, if any of this was true, because it, it's just a ridiculous situation. He's he's not even done anything really with City at the moment. So I think it's all I think it's all rubbish. To be honest with you, I, I might be proved wrong, but I, I I just think it I just think it's something and nothing. Yeah, just a final uh, point on this before we uh, get into what we're talking about, uh, Colin. Uh, why do we keep seeing uh, Xavi and Barcelona linked with all of these players when they don't have a pot to piss in? <laughs> well, you know, it it sells, doesn't it? It sells um, clicks and 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 uh, 
stuff like that and, and that you know we know what the media are like they, they, you know they, they I, I always make this joke every time that a journalist said city are going to do this or city are going to buy that uh, and they make almost like the same joke every time yeah because the first thing that chicky bagheri stan does when he comes out of his meeting with soriano and the finance people is pick up the phone to the sun and the mail <laughs> uh, you know they, they don't know what's going on i mean look at how many deals we've done which have come out of the blue um if it, it's nonsense you know we, journalists make this shit up excuse my language but they make this shit up for to get clicks and to, to make themselves relevant and no one ever pulls them up uh on 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 the um falsehoods you know someone should go through at the end of the season what well, we know journalists have come out exclusive so and so to go to so and so so to go you know to some other club uh and someone should pull them up and and say yeah you know you're talking crap you talk, you know, you, you've, you've come up with 100 transfer rumours and 97 of them have been completely false. So, um, you know, we, we know why they come up with this rubbish. It's just to get clicks. Exactly. Well, well, guys, if City fa- fans want to um, feel good from a neutral point of view, I really recommend that you listen to the bit by uh, Simon Jordan on uh, Talk Sport. Now, I don't really like Talk Sport. I don't think that Colin does either, but we do tune in from time to time and listen. Uh, Paris, and he just said that we are streets ahead of them, streets ahead of them. And uh, guys, I, I think that that's something you need to listen to because Simon Jordan is no friend of City. You would get like very, very grudging um, uh, praise, but he was blown away by what we did against Paris. So guys, do check that out. But anyway, let's get on to the main topic of tonight because that's what we're here for. We're going to start off with Colin Savage. And um, guys, I've, I've I've put up links and I will do again of uh, part one and part two of this three-part series. But uh, Colin was instrumental in helping us to put this together. And we're going to uh, turn to Colin now to just help us to pick up where we left off in the story of uh, Annie Lee. So um, we got to the end of 96-97 season. And uh, frankly, uh, sorry, Frank, Frank Clark had come in in the January and as we said at the end of part two, um, he'd had quite a positive impact. So uh, let's say up to then we had 26 points from 25 games. Frank Clark came in and we got uh, 35 points from 21 games. So if you multiply that up across the season, we're looking at potentially 77 points. And of course, remember, it's a, um, a 22 club league. So we're playing 42 games. But 77 puts you potentially in the promotion spots. So um, there was great optimism going into 97-98 because, you know, we we showed a run of form that we could get get back into the uh, Premier League. Um, so, so that's where we were, you know, there, there was, uh, and there were things off the field. So there'd been a, a refinancing, a, a, a three for four uh, share, rights issue of shares that had raised... Um, quite a bit of money about 11 12 million pounds worth of money so going into 97 98 there was great options we had money in the bank um we repaid some debt uh, i just want to talk about things off the field for the moment uh a guy called mike turner had been appointed md he had a great commercial background and he did a, a few things so he moved the kit to kappa from umbro and we've been with umbro actually for 63 years and that was reckoned to be one of the, well, if not the longest partnership in wow. sports history. And um, the, the Kappa sh- 
new Kappa kits, of course, proved um, very popular. Uh, and we sold 60,000 shirts, you know, considering that, that, you know, the whole shirt market wasn't that developed at that time. But of course, being typical city, uh, Kappa had supply issues and uh, many fans were left frustrated because they couldn't get hold of the shirts. So it's quite possible we could have shot, sold um, 100,000 shirts that season right, in League One. And on that shirt, of course, was the new um, controversial badge, which had the, the eagle, which which I think was a Manchester a Manchester thing. We had the, the ship, of course, on the ship canal uh, and the very controversial three stars, which no one ever understood why they were there. Um, and the motto, Superbia in Proolia, pro, Proolio. And again, <laughs> there was um, some controversy about the motto because some thought it was uh, Proelio, some thought it was Proelia. Now, pro, I know from my Latin, the, the, the latter with the A at the end is a plural. So pride in Proelia is pride in battles, not um, not pride in battle. So the actual reading of the motto was Superbia in Proelia. And um, the, the other thing, that big thing that happened was that the social club was turned into the megastore, the superstore. So there's a lot of focus on the commercial side. We've raised money. Um, there's a lot of focus on the commercial side of the club, which is good because it brings in money. But, um, you know, where we needed improvement was on the picture. And I think um, it was a f- fairly complacent view taken potentially. Colin, if you could just, if you could just uh, remind us who was in control of the club at this time? Well, well, f- um, well that's an interesting question. Um, Fran Lee was the chairman, of course, and uh, at the end of 97, but he wasn't the major shareholder. So I, I've just looked uh, looked on the accounts. So at the year in 97, so that May 97, just going into the 97-98 season, the major shareholder was still Stephen Bowler. Okay. He, he had um, just under 25% of the shares. Uh, behind him were, were um, John Wardle and David Makin, and they had 19% of the shares. And they'd been persuaded to invest money by David Bernstein, who came along as finance director, but um, was actually appointed as a director of um, one, one of the clubs, actually um, football club, I think, uh, um, the end, towards the end of 1994. So David Bernstein was on the board. Um, Ashley Lewis was on the board representing Stephen Bowler's interest because uh, I knew Ashley, we were at school together, uh, and he worked for Stephen Bowler for, for many years. And um, so, so the other shareholders, Greenall Bre- Greenall's Brewery, uh, Andrew Thomas was representing Greenalls. They had uh, 7.6%. Peter Swales' his estate still had uh, just under 4% of the shares. Franny had just under 12% of the shares himself. And, and with his cohort, probably about another 5.5%. So, so so Lee and his cohort had uh, about 17 and three quarter percent of the shares together. But if if the four other major shareholders who weren't on the board voted together or if if bowler wardle making and greenalls all voted together they, they they could easily outvote him so so there were two shareholders stephen bowler and the combined holdings of john wardle and david macon um uh, who who had more shares than franny lee in his cohort well guys let me just jump in here and add, uh, just add a little bit of context 97 98 now i'm just going to ask the two guys what they were doing at that time now i remember for me i was on the uh uh, graduate program, the master's program at that time, a second degree. 
Um, what were you doing, uh, Bernard, at that time? If you can remember, 97, 98 season, where were you living? What were you doing? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd opened my video shop uh, in a very close to Denton, Manchester. I opened a little video shop uh, in, ni- in May 1995, and I had that till 2007. So by 97, 98, I could actually have time off. I spent the first nine months of my video shop time. I didn't get to see City because I worked seven days a week, uh, 12 hours a day for the first nine months of owning that shop. Yeah, what, so, was the, what was that it, video it was, shop, uh, Bernard? Sorry, mate. Sorry. Where was that? Where, where was the video shop? Yeah, it's a place called Horton Green near Denton. Horton Green, just a little village, nice little village, a quaint little village. There was two video shops. I had, I literally had to put the other one out of business to make money. So I spent the first year uh, spending a lot of money that I didn't have, uh, credit cards, everything, just to make sure I had all the stock uh, to put this other guy out of business, which I did after two or three years. So obviously I had it all to myself for a few years and it was all very good. If I'm not mistaken, is that Denton, is that not where Paul Lake comes from? Well, I'll tell you now, Mike Lake used to come in and have a chat with me. Not Paul, but his brother Mike. Mike used to come into the shop and we used to chat City all the time. And I used to ask him how Paul was going on. Obviously, yeah, yeah, it was it was a good place to be to have a chat. You know, a lot of City fans, a lot of United fans. And I, I must admit, my, my shop uh, had videos of United and City. And I was the only store that I know of in Manchester to have a vast majority of City videos, as you'd expect. I wasn't going to stop many United ones. So, obviously, and they always, always, when a new one come out, I bought, I bought the new United one, the new City one. The City one always rented more than the United one, put it that way. So, uh, it was a, that was a good sign, wasn't it? But, uh, yeah, that's what I was doing, saying my kids were at high school. And uh, by 97, 98, yeah, I was uh, having time off and I had a little bit of money to spend. I'd, I'd, I'd put a lot of money into the business. I was starting to see a re- the rewards. So I was able, I couldn't get to many away games, obviously with a young family, but I was getting to all the home games and taking my lad with me. So, uh, yeah, uh, fond, fond memories of that time, I must admit. Well, guys, uh, Denton is famous for two things, I think. Uh, one is Paul Lake. Now you've discovered the second one. Uh, Bernard was uh, working there. I think the third one is the, that series with David Jason called Inspector Frost uh, was set in Denton. I, I, I've watched every <laughs> single one of them. Absolutely fabulous series. Guys, if you ever want to go back in time and uh, check out what it was like, check out Inspector Frost with David Jason. Let, let's go on to Colin Savage. Colin, 97, uh, 98 season. Where were you? What were you doing? Um, what was going on in your life? Right. Well, um, for me, it was the um, I, I changed jobs and moved to a big consultancy, big IT consultancy. And uh, I remember it, they were London based, although we had a Manchester office in Salford Keys, but there was nothing much going on in that office. And, and I remember my manager who was based in the London office said, come down for the week and, and meet everyone you need to meet. So uh, obviously I headed down to London. That was just at the start of the season, August 97, I think. Headed down to London and, and that week turned into six months, I think. Um, so I was down in London every week for six months. And um, so really uh, I had a young family. I wasn't getting, uh, I was getting home late on a Friday night, uh, leaving home very early on a Monday morning, if not uh, late on a Sunday night. So I really, you know, going to watch football, wasn't my priority um but, but you know it was, it was an interesting year and um it uh, hang on when when did um was it 97 or 98 i can't remember now uh when did princess diana die 
She um, died. In, uh, she died in. Um, I think it was August ninety uh, seven. No, right, that's right. Uh, I just rolled up in London just before she died, and uh, we, the, the, the office was based in Westminster. And you know, you couldn't go out at lunchtime without bumping into TV crews from Croatia or, or Bulgaria or Venezuela, or you know, um, it, it was quite a, an interesting time. And I remember um, trying to get home on the Friday evening. Um, trying to get into St James's Park tube station, and it was like a salmon swimming up upstream. You know, the people were streaming out of St James's Park tube station so much so, of course, because the funeral was at Westminster Abbey, which was uh, next to St James's Park uh, tube station, and um, you, you could barely get down the steps and meet with my suitcase. And anyway, so yeah, that, that's what I was doing that season. So I spent that that season. Uh, that that was the start of my working away from home time basically yeah so, well yeah, getting too much football we'll have to ask ray did he start blowing bubbles at that at that point in his life but we'll <laughs> find out the answer to that later okay colin so let's continue with uh, what was going on so okay so we, we've talked about the off-field situation you know franny lee mike turner uh and the, the board are making great efforts to improve the commercial side of the club and as I said i think potentially with some complacency because of the way clark had come in and turned things round in the 96, 92nd half of the 96, 97 season, there were potentially, I think you could say there was some complacency about events on the field. And of course, you know, it was crucial to get back in the Premier League, although the disparity probably wasn't as great then financially as it is now between the, the Premier League and the Championship, uh, which League One is. So, say there was great expectation, great hope, but unfortunately, the, the, the first few games were, were not great. So um, we got two points from the first four games, which, which left us in um, the bottom three after those four games. And the next game, beginning of September, we play Nottingham Forest, who were the leaders. And, we, you know, it was typical City. We won 3-1 at Forest. So, of course, you think, well, you know, the, the early season travails are over. We, you know, we're, we're on a winning streak. We, um, you know, we're going to do OK. Uh of course, then we we drew at um, Gig Lane. Berry was the next game. We lost at home to Norwich, and then Swindon, I think second or third at the time, the end of September, come to Mainbrow and we stick six past them. So we've now, beaten. Colin, if I could just sorry, sorry, just to interrupt you for a second, I ask uh, you and uh, Bernard the same question. What just for youngsters out there? What sort of players were playing for Manchester City at that time? Well, I can tell you the uh, the first few games. I mean, you had Margaretson in goal, so that wasn't a great start, guys, was it? I know you we picked an Ikeable, didn't we? We picked an Ikeable, I think, the other your last one you did. But uh, Margaretson wasn't much of improvement, was he, guys? But uh, yeah, the very first. If you take the first game against Portsmouth, the, the starting eleven for that game with the subs was uh, Margaretson, Brightwell, Vaughan, Vikings. Simons or Simmons, whichever way. Beasley, we totally forget who Beasley is. I have no idea. I can't remember now even looking at it. Uh, Brennan, Horlock, Bradbury, or Bad Buy, as we called him, obviously. Uh, King Cladsey, of course. Uh, Rossler was still there. And obviously, Summerby and Dickoff were the two subs for that very first game. So they were your starting guys. I mean, obviously, we're going to go through about 38 different players this season uh, by the time it ends, but uh, which is the most I can see uh, that we've ever used in the season. But uh, yeah, they, they were the sort of guys that started started that season. Fantastic. Yeah. Let's pick it up. Swindon, sorry, 6 0. 
the team was uh, Martin Margotson, Ian Brightwell, Paul Beasley. I, I, again, I don't remember. Gerard Vikens, <laughs> Kit Simons, Richard Edgehill, Paul Dickov, Kevin Horlock, Lee Bradbury, Georgia Kinkladze and uh, Jed Brannan. So uh, what were the subs? Tony Scully and Barry Conlon. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> bit, bit of a mixture. And I, I must say, you know, when, when, when we talk about Martin Margotson, uh, uh, the company had left to go into the consultancy. Um, his mother, Anne, worked worked for them. She was on the front desk. So I knew Anne. Uh, everyone knew Anne quite well. And uh, we diplomatically refrained from talking about football. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's continue. Let's pick it up here, Colin. So, yeah, so it's not started very well, but we've got two good results against two of the top teams in the division. Um, but, you know, after that Swindon game, we, um, you know, we, we get up to you know, 15, 16, something like that. Um, I'm just looking at... Yeah, so, so we're not doing very well. And then we slip back. So, so we've beaten two of the top three teams in the division, and then it's uh, lose to Ipswich, draw at home to Reading, lose at home to Stoke, lose away at Queen's Park Rangers. We get a draw against... Uh, so we get a win against Crewe. But then, you know, we're drawing at Oxford, we're losing at home to Port Vale, we're losing at Huddersfield, uh, losing at home to Huddersfield. Uh, we get another win against Bradford City towards the end of November. But by the end of November, uh, end of October, we're in 21st place and, and it's a 22-team division, so we're second from bottom. By the end of the year, again, you know, we get the odd win. We, we Just before Christmas, we beat Middlesbrough at home. Um uh, but by the end of December, we're, we're basically twentieth in a twenty-two team league, so we're in the relegation zone. Yeah, Bernard, were you going to any? Were Bernard, were you going to these games? I was indeed. I was just going to say you forgot the humiliation of getting beat by Stockport County, which uh, didn't go down very well. We lost to them at uh, in the end of uh, at uh, 29th of November. We lost at three one at Stockport County with uh, Mr. Brennan getting our only goal, but uh, Brennan getting our only goal. But uh, that was disastrous. We've also gone out of the League Cup. Don't forget as well, guys. We've gone out of the League Cup to Blackpool. Uh, yes. a two-leg League Cup uh, defeat on penalties. We lost <laughs> that one. So, yeah, I mean, the thing is, the crowds were okay. The crowds weren't bad. They were, they were about 25, 24, 25, 26,000. Ironically, they did actually get better as the season went on and we got worse <laughs> and worse. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. We still had optimism. I mean, Franny Lee had, had written at the start of this season, and I quote, there's a great feeling of anticipation in the club. This is going to be our season. Yes, I mean, obviously, we were all buoyed by this. And uh, you mentioned the badge before, actually, guys. I can just confirm that the uh, the Golden Eagle, which many people thought was a phoenix, you know, city rising from the ashes when they first saw this badge. But uh, the Golden Eagle actually was first used in the city of Manchester Crest on the 20th of December 1957. So that's where that came about and was obviously used around that time. But yeah, I mean, I was going to the games, and as Colin said, I mean, we could we beat a couple. We had a couple of great results, but the rest were absolute rubbish. But the fans, the fans were covered. I remember still being covered. I wasn't too worried. Uh, we were down there at the bottom. I think obviously we must have been the bottom three, weren't we, Colin? By then, uh, yeah. but as, as fans, I don't. I thought. I thought I was enjoying it. I was enjoying the. I was enjoying listening to the radio phone-ins at this time. That's GMR was getting a bit a bit uh, feisty. I was enjoying buying King of the Kippacks because I get it's cathartic, isn't it? I like reading King of the Kippacks when things aren't going well. I love it because I read other people moaning and groaning. And I get something out of that. So 
for me, we were, you know, it got to Christmas, as Colin said there, and, and yeah, it was it was a disaster, but, uh, it, but it didn't seem as bad as it had done the last three or four <laughs> years previously, that, which is <laughs> ironic, isn't it? Let's be honest about it. But yeah, that, up to Christmas, uh, yeah, we were still, still, still there, still hanging in, still hanging in. We still had confidence that uh, Frank, uh, Frank Clark, saviour of the universe, as our Mr. Frank Sidebottom sung in his very popular city medley that time. Frank Clark, saviour of the universe, uh, to the Flash Gordon tune. Uh, yeah. We still had a bit of confidence, but it was waning. Uh, I think. I think the problem with Frank Clark is I think he got on better with the players, and I think. I think he, he thought the fans wanted a bit more. All we wanted was a, was the odd win, the odd cup run, and Frank Clark seems to get the impression that we were expecting. Uh, you know, wonderful, you know, wonderful performances. We we just needed some something something back, and I think that was a problem. Clark seemed to get on well with the players, but he was he was sort of gradually losing the fans and the fact that uh, he thought the fans were asking too much. And I don't think the fans were. We were just asking, you know, get move up the table a little bit. We weren't asking for too much, but uh, obviously Frank Clark was in like by Christmas he was starting to sort of uh uh sort of fight back a little bit and Frank Clark uh he was a quiet guy wasn't he let's be honest about it but uh he wasn't inspiring was he guys so yeah but uh yeah we, we knew we thought something had happened we thought we still had people like King Cladsey didn't we and stuff like that so we thought after Christmas uh as a Christmas present we we might start zooming up that league but uh yeah so that that's my memories I don't think I was particularly down certainly not by Christmas if I could just uh, if I could just ask you to address these because they have been sent in by BFTB fans. Number one, were you getting to any of these games? Number two, were there any other fanzines around still at that time, as well as King King of the Kipax? And um, and also number three, is this where the uh, the Frank Clark playing guitar uh, thing? Started. Um, I think the fanzines, on the fanzines, I think there were still fanzines around. It was still about ten, about ten years down the line, eleven, twelve years from from fanzines coming out. So there, there was still some. I mean, I I just religiously bought King of the Kipax. I didn't particularly uh, go to the any of the others. I just found King of the Kipax the best one. But uh, yeah, and I'm not too sure about the guitar playing though, mate. I don't know whether Colin knows anything about that. Yeah, apparently, um, I say King of the Kipax was about ten years old at that point. I yeah, think, yeah. and. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, the guitar playing. Apparently, when Frank Clark, the story is when Frank Clark first met the players, he picked up his guitar and sang them a few songs, country and western songs, or something like that, <laughs> you know, which, which was different. You know, it's a bit different to Alan Ball and his "Look at My World Cup Winners" medal. Uh, and, and Frank Clark had plenty to boast about. He'd done well at, at Forest. But there was an interesting comment from Clark, which, which kind of I think summed City up at the time. Uh, uh, and Clark was obviously concerned that the problems at the club ran deeper than just the manager. And what he said was that talking about changing managers, that may often be justified, but it surely can't explain failures over 25 years. He said, you might be unlucky with one or two managers, but no club could possibly appoint 17 duffers over 25 years. And he made the point that many of those managers were successful at other clubs. He'd done well at Forest, as I just said. Alan Ball, even Alan Ball had had a spell of success at Southampton. So, you know, we, we, we picked some good managers. And, and, and Clark really, I think, put his finger on the pulse there and said the club, it was, you know, the, the club, the problem lay deeper than just the manager. It was about the direction of the club. You know, and we can look across town at uh, 
our friends in Stratford and, and and see kind of see the same thing there, can't we? And there, you know, they've gone through David Moyes, who's now in the top four with West Ham. They've gone through, you know, serial winner Jose Mourinho, uh, a bit of a legend, Louis van Gaal. Um, if we can get about Solskjaer, but uh, you know, the three managers who've who've you know in their own ways have been successful have failed and, and people are saying it's the fault of the club not the fault of the managers and, and Clark was saying the same thing back in you know beginning of the 97-98 season Colin were you surprised that um, Frank Clark was appointed um no he seemed a good appointment at the time if I remember rightly um because of course you know Brian Horton, everyone loved Brian Horton didn't they and but you know our record under him wasn't great although we played some decent football but you know Frank Clark had come with a decent pedigree from Nottingham Forest um so no, no one was was quite surprised. And just one, just one other thing before you we, we move on. Um, we talked about the early games, but our second game, our first away game, was at Sunderland, and it was the opening game at the Stadium of Light. So we we played the first game at the Stadium of Light, uh, and uh, we lost three one. And um, now Quinn scored the first goal for Sunderland. <laughs> was it a header? I just thought I'd throw that, throw that a little. little well, was it there. actually a header? That's where he scored most of his goals, didn't it? Uh, didn't he? Yeah. I thought he scored most of his goals with his feet. You know, I think this is a, this is all a lie with his head. I, I think uh, someone once said to me, "Oh, he's not bad with his feet." He said, "Well, he wouldn't be a footballer if he wasn't bad with his feet, would he?" I mean, he can't just get through football heading a ball. So, uh, yeah, I, I always thought he scored more with his feet than his head. To be honest with you, Bernard, were, were, you, were, you Bernard, were you surprised at the appointment of Frank Clark? And uh, do you remember any other names being touted around at that time? No, I think you touched upon all the, the usual suspects, didn't you? I wasn't sure. When, when, did, when did we originally go in for Joe Rowe? Was it about three, two, three seasons before that? Uh, when we tried for Joe and he decided to stay at Oldham. Remember when that guy was stood outside Oldham's ground, Boundary Park, and he decided he might go to City. And this guy was stood out, this Oldham, poor little Oldham fan was stood outside the ground, pleaded with him not to go to City. And this this was probably a couple of years before, probably before, I don't know, was it before Alan Ball, I'm not too sure. But uh, obviously he didn't come at that juncture, did he? Because he said this little guy because he was soaking wet, as it was always raining in Oldham, as you know, and uh, cold. And he just felt so sorry. That, that's the story anyway. He just decided that he wouldn't take on City's, City's options. But obviously we had George Grahams, didn't we? I think uh, Colin there sort of talks about people like Bassett and stuff like that. There's always the same guys doing the rounds. Uh, but I think I think we were happy with Frank Clark, to be honest with you. And it was interesting. We were just talking about the crowd there, wasn't it? about the 24, 25, 26. And... This just shows, isn't it? As as we slumped down this this division, uh, we actually built the one of the gene. We put one of the, another of the Gene Kelly stands up as well in late October. That actually opened. So I mean, even though we were going, fans were actually were actually increasing. The crowds were actually increasing as things got worse. It, it was an incredible thing to see, and you know everyone slags our loyalty off now. But it, that was that that was so. It was just just how it was. It just the. You know, we all sort of fought together, didn't we? As, as things got worse, we all we all got better at things, better at supporting the club, uh, even though we did moan a, li- moan a lot, obviously. But uh, yeah, like like Colly said, we were all pretty happy with Frank Clark. Uh, let's face it, after <laughs> after who replaced, uh, I think you probably could have put anyone in there that we would have been happy to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, it, it, and he certainly, as, as you said, he did all right at the end of that last season. So yeah, I, th- I think everyone was quite happy. 
It's interesting, isn't it, Colin, that um, Ricky Hatton, the world championship boxer uh, from Manchester, he actually has gone on record saying that he preferred those days, uh, even to uh, Pellegrini days by that stage, um, because of the camaraderie and I guess the gallows humour. Did you feel the same? Well, I think, uh, yeah, City fans, we're all kind of, that, that's our nature, isn't it? That, and I remember talking to um, Don Price. Uh, Don's written a couple of books about his experiences of supporting City. Don was the long-time chairman of the Presbyterian Whitefield Blues and, and um, you know, was a confirmed uh, City nut. And um, uh, nut being the operative word, great Don. Uh, and we're talking about, we were having a coffee together, and we're talking about those days. And he said, you know, he said it was it was great in some ways, he said, because you made the most of the day out. It was a, more about the day out than about the match. And then he thought about it and said, in fact, the match just got in the way of the day out. He said that was kind of <laughs> that was kind of the, the, the pain you had to take to have a, an enjoyable day out um, at, at that time. But uh, I, I think that was more, you know, back in the league, back in uh, when we were in League Two. But uh, yeah, so, um, you, know, you know, City fans, we don't. We're not like United fans. We don't demand success. We're not. We don't. We never have that expectation. And even now, we don't have that expectation. Of course, that it's much better days. Of course, that you know, completely the opposite end of the spectrum to, you know, the the, the late nineties, isn't it? But um, even now, you know, the older City fans um, don't have. Never, we've never had that expectation of success. And it was just about you know having a good day out of the game. And a lot of people, got, as Bernard said, as long as we got the odd win, as long as we were, you know, we know we even accepted the yo-yo days, didn't we? Because there was always something to look forward to, wasn't there? We had a relegation scrap or a promotion battle. I mean, what, what I look forward to as well is the fact that my my lad went to school. As I said, I thought I mentioned there, and he was it was like only one or two of them City fans. They're all United fans. I I didn't suffer that at school when I was a kid. I went. I was in the glory days of the late sixties, so there was just as many City fans, if, if not more, where I went when I went to school. But uh, I thought I was happy with those days because we didn't have to play United, and my lad didn't have to get stick if we got beat by United. You know, it wasn't as bad when we got beat by Berry or Stockport. It wasn't quite as bad as getting beat by United. And let's face it, I dreaded getting him in a cup cup competition because I just didn't want to play United at that point in time. I say more for my lad than anything else because of all the aggro he used to get at school, obviously, if they did. So it was a bit of a respite from that as well. I know it sounds daft, but it was a bit of a respite from letting them tear us apart, you know. So that, that was a good thing as well. And let's face it, Colin, our pain birthed Oasis, did it not? Because that's when that's our, our pain in those days birthed Oasis as a rock group. Because I can remember at the time those two scallywags were going to those games. Uh, yeah, well, they said they said they were so, and and they probably were. But yeah, it was you know it was about your loyalty to the club, not about chasing success. And that what that's what always defined the hardcore city fans. You know, your loyalty, you know, success wasn't a factor in supporting City. It was your loyalty to the club. Okay, Colin, let's pick it up and let's move forward. So, so obviously, we're at, we get to the end of the year. Uh, and I'm just looking. Actually, I, I made a mistake. There was a 2014 division, 46 games. So, uh, the end of the year, uh, turn of the year, we're 20th out of 24 teams. But it's very tight at the bottom. There's um, four points between the bottom eight. So, uh, there's Portsmouth. Uh, we're bottom 24th on t- 23 points. Then there's one, two, three, four teams on 24, including us, Tranmere, Berry, and Huddersfield. Um, 
And then there's Crewe on 25, Port Vale 26, uh, Oxford 27. So, uh, again, you know, uh, we're not in the relegation zone, which is OK. And our um, our first game in the new year is against Portsmouth, one of the, at Portsmouth, at Grand Park, one of the relegation struggles. And we won that one. Uh, 3-0. So where did that take us? Just one, bear with me one second. That took us to, um, just checking on my league table, that took us up to the giddy heights of 18th, although oh. two, two points off the relegation zone. And our next game, uh, is it our next game? Yes, our next game, no, sorry, it's not our next game. Um, and then it's We've we beat Bradford City, City in the third round of the FA Cup as well, so at least we progressed yeah, we to the yeah. So, so we're, we're going through to January, but again, we lose the net. We know it was a case of win one, lose four, or, you know. So uh, the next following week, we played Sunderland at home. We lost that one. We drew at home to Charlton. We drew away at Tranmere. We drew away at Norwich. And on the 7th of February... Uh, after that Norwich game, we are in, generate my league table. We're still not in the bottom three, but there's, there's three teams on 30 points, uh, 20, 21st and 22nd. So it's only goal difference that's keeping us out, the bottom spot. And our next game is against 23rd placed Berry. <laughs> and uh, this is the key. This is the key moment of Franny Lee's tenure, really, as chairman. St. Valentine's Day, 14th of uh, February, 1998. And we're playing Berry. We're in 23rd place. And we lost 1-0 at home, main road. And this sets off a chain of events, uh, which, which, which we'll talk about. And uh, one of the f- most famous is uh, a fan ran on the pitch, tore up his season ticket, um, threw it on the pitch. Uh, and, and the story has it that he actually got it back a few days later saying, if we have to watch this rubbish, then so do you. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. <laughs> um, but you can imagine it is. But the most more significant event came that evening. Now, um, David Bernstein, who came in as finance director, was appointed as a director um, under Franny Lee, the beginning of, close to the beginning of Franny Lee's tenure, uh, at the end of 1994. He'd persuaded um, John Wardle and David Macon, who were JD Sports, made a bit of money from the sale of the club, uh, sale of the company, he persuaded them to invest, I think, about five million. Now, um, I'm just trying to see that neither of them are on actually on the board. So they're just shareholders. But as I said earlier, they've got just under 20 percent of the shares between them. So it's a fairly significant holding. It's more than Franny Lee has got. Now, John Wardle, um, again, they were they were fans. They came to games. But Colin, Colin, was, was, Colin, was Dennis Stewart their guy on the board, their guy on the board, Dennis Stewart? Yes, and thank you for reminding me. Stuart had come in at the end of 97 to represent mainly David Macon's interest, I think, or Wardle Macon's interest. So so Dennis Stuart was in. Dennis Stuart was described as the liaison between the board and the manager. So he's like a bit of a football director, director of football, technical director, whatever you want to call it. So uh, just before Dennis Stuart came in just before Christmas. So thanks for reminding me about that. Uh, so we've already got Wardle and Macon have already got an eye on what, what the hell's going on at board level. So on the 14th of February, we've been beaten by Barry. John Wardle was at the game. David Macon wasn't. He was at um, Mere Country Club, I think, which was Stephen Bowler's uh, owned. Uh-huh. And um, he rang, he saw the result, rang John Wardle and said, was it as bad as it sounds? And Wardle said it was worse. <laughs> so 
you, you get possibly one of the most extraordinary events um, almost in our history, I think. Um, of course, the, the post-match phoning is going on on, on radio, BBC Radio. Yeah, I remember oh, that so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Jimmy Wagg is um, uh, you know, stepped down now, but the great Jimmy Wagg was the host. Uh, and Jimmy knows who the callers, you know, he, he's getting a list of the, the callers. And he saw David Makin's name. Uh, I remember talking to him about this. Uh, a while ago, he saw David Makin's name come up on the list and he thought, well, this could be interesting. So he said, we've got City shareholder David Makin on the line. And I, I'm going to quote, um, I'm going to quote from... Uh, this is so exciting, isn't it? I'm going to quote that conversation. Uh, uh, and Makin was furious. And no, sorry, it wasn't at me. It was at Mottram Hall. Um, and, and what Makin said was, I think there's a massive chemistry problem within the club. I really do. He, Francis Lee, overrides everybody. He tries to be dominant. I'm in business. I know if you haven't got a happy workplace, then there are problems. I don't think City is a happy workplace. Bad enough for, you know, to have a major shareholder criticising the chairman. And then came the killer. He said, I will be doing my best in the next few weeks to remove the chairman because he is staying there. And I think he meant Franny Lee wasn't standing, should have stood down at this point. You know, he, I think Franny Lee had said at some point, if we don't win something within the next couple of years, I'll throw myself off the Kipax or something like that. And of course, we didn't. Um, I think, I, think he really Franny, I think he called Franny Lee stubborn, didn't he? Was it stubborn the yeah. word he used? Well, I'm coming to that, yeah. He said, I don't know whether he's bloody minded or what. He is being stubborn. He's being proud. If I was him, I would think I would put moustache and a cap on and hide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is extraordinary this is almost unprecedented and then and finish, he finishes off saying I know there are people behind the scenes ready to take over I am not going into any details and then he said um, and that was you know the knives were out at that point clearly out at that point and he said uh, the first thing I would do when Francis is gone and he's got the power to get rid of Francis Lee of course is find that guy who has probably been barred for throwing his ticket away on the pitch and put him in the director's box because it sums up how the hand fans feel. Um, so, uh, you know, it, this showed um, just how how much feeling there was against Francis. Lee. When you've got one of your major shareholders coming out, not, not behind the scenes, but publicly criticising and very personally criticising the chairman, it's... it's um, it's fatal. Now, now, if Lee had been Swales and had 60% of the shares, he could have survived that, possibly. But Lee wasn't Swales. He, as, as I say, he himself only had just under 12% of the shares and his cohort probably had another 5 or 6%. So he's not in a particularly powerful position uh, from, from a shareholding point of view. And um, J John Wardle with, um, was the quiet guy. Dave, I mean, both John Wardle and David Macon didn't want the spotlight. But they realised that. And when they said there were people behind the scenes ready to take over, it was them. It was him and John Wardle. Uh, and, and say both are quiet guys. Um, both, let's say, both quiet, humble guys, very private, don't hold the limelight. But they decided to save the club. One of them, John Wardle, has got to get more involved. And um, even John Wardle has said that was the end for, for Franny as chairman. Uh, but we all felt that way. Um, and John was such a nice guy. I you know, met him a couple, met him a couple of times. It's such a, a really nice guy. And he, he said, "I don't want to knock Francis because he was a fantastic player for us, but uh, and he's done his utmost to help City develop while he was chairman, and he did a lot off the field. We'll talk about that. But 
um, you know, so, so he was being quite kind to Franny, but basically he said, you know, he's done a lot, but we need a change. So um, they, they basically, as the well, they weren't the larger shareholder, but I suspect they, they Stephen Bowler didn't have much involvement. He was a swalesman, didn't have much involvement in the club. Uh, but if, if they can persuade Stephen Bowler to make a change, that's nearly kind of 43% of the shares. Uh, I don't think the Swales, I don't, I don't know how active the, the Swales family were, because Peter Swales had suddenly died by that that point. But as I said, you know, with Greenalls, they've got the majority of the shares. So um, they, they basically, behind the scenes, they've gone to David Bernstein, who was a well-respected figure in business, and said to him, if we oust Franny, are you prepared to be chairman, David Bernstein? Uh, you know, he's a City fan. Uh, to his fingernails, uh, to his toenails, and he wants to be involved. You know, he's not a man to sit back and let others do things for him. And he basically said, yeah. Uh, and and that was, but that, you know, that didn't happen overnight, actually. All this was going on behind the scenes. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, Bernard, do you want to say anything at this point? Yeah, I mean, just saying, obviously, I think it was the Berry game. Was this where the, the police had to disperse the crowds outside uh, the main entrance again, all you know, throw back to the Lee's out. It was Lee out instead of you know, the Swales out days. We had the Lee out banners out now by by this stage, and obviously all this sort of was coming to a head. I mean, on the pitch, I think it was um, Kit Simons was getting a lot of stick on the pitch. He he was he was the you know like we always have a fall guy at City, don't we, with our players. And uh, Kit Simons was getting all all the all the stick, and that that game, the Betty game, where he ripped his ticket up. I mean, the crowd, the crowd to a man, I think, uh, applauded this bloke and shouted for this bloke when he was on the pitch. I was I was there that day. I didn't go to the trouble afterwards uh, outside the the main stand or anything like that. I kept I took my lad home, you know, just kept cleared of all that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it was it was just just a just a flashback to the Swales out, and all of a sudden now. It was Lee's out, and I said Lee out, and I think just just an interesting one actually. The, the couple of guys uh, never played for City again after that Berry game, and uh, one of them I can't even remember playing for us in the first place, and the other one yeah, just about uh, Van Blurk. He never he never played for City again after that Berry game. I don't I have no idea who he is, guys. I'm not not a clue who Van Blurk is. And uh, Conlon, I do remember Conlon. That was Mister Conlon's last game as well. So not not only. Uh, the season ticket got ripped up, but those couple of players played their last game after that Perry game as well. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. Guys, I cannot tell you how explosive that radio uh, call was. I don't know if uh, people, uh, all of you guys out there, I know we have a lot of um, uh, City uh, fans who are more than sort of about 50, and uh, you will remember that it was absolutely explosive. Colin Savage, what happened next? Well, yeah, as I say, nothing happened in the immediate, well, nothing happened in the boardroom in the immediate so a few days afterwards. But um, Frank Clark uh, time was up. And uh, and this was another extraordinary incident, really. Um, and uh, we had approached Joe Royal and Joe Royal. Uh, now, interestingly, so on the, the midweek, I think it was the 17th. So the very game was Saturday the 14th. So uh, on the 17th, Tuesday. Sunderland were playing Reading, who are our next opponents. And um, Peter Reid, I think, was in charge at Sunderland at that point. And Frank Clark was on his way up to Sunderland to watch Reading. At the same time, Joe Royal was up to Sunderland to see his pal Peter Reid. And um, th there were stories, there were rumours floating about that uh, Clark was out and, and Royal was in, but nothing confirmed. 
And while um, Frank Clark was driving up to Sunderland, Bernard Halford spoke to him. I, I don't, we didn't have, yes, we did have mobile phones in those days. Yeah, because I just got my I got my first one. Um, Bernard Halford spoke to him and said, "Great, you know, without any urgency, um, the board, the chair wants to see you in the morning." You know, so, so Frank Clark said to him, said to Bernard, "Do I need to come back now?" Uh, no, the chair wants to speak to you. I don't know if Sean Clark knew what it was about. He said, do, do I need to come back now thinking I'm going to get sacked? And Bernard said, no, 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 it'll do tomorrow when you're back. So he's thinking, well, there's nothing much. <laughs> so he goes to, in, in the meantime, we spoke to Joe Royal. And Joe Royal doesn't go to Sunderland. He comes to Manchester to accept the manager's position. So, um, you know, we've got a new manager and the old manager doesn't think, you know, might suspect he's going to be sacked. But... His mind's kind of been put at ease by the fact that, that Bernard said to him, uh, Bernard Halford, not, not this Bernard, said to him, no, 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 there's no rush, it'll do tomorrow. So he's thinking how important, it can't be that important. So uh, then in the morning, the newspaper stories have come out that um, uh, Frank is to be sacked and royal appointed. No one's spoken to, to Clark at this point. Uh, and the interesting thing is he's talking about getting Peter Beardsley in on loan. <laughs> yeah. And part of the club is... The, the club are paying for that. Instead of saying, hang on, wait, just hang on a minute, that's going through. Well, there's another, another, and this is what Frank Clark said, he said, there's one faction allowing me to bring in Peter Beardsley, and there's another faction sacking me. And, and it kind of just sums up, you know, the issues at the club. And um, he said, um, the, the club, had, uh, one faction of the club had issued a statement to the press on the Monday night, saying that he had been told that results had to improve and and it was interesting he said i've not been told anything of the sort he said but i don't need telling you know when you've been beaten by barry at home you're in the bottom three or whatever he said i don't need telling results need to improve um it was obvious he said he, he, he wasn't even told they were issuing that statement so he, he knew anything of it so so they contacted uh they i think it was the evening news contacted him to ask for his reaction he hadn't a clue what they were talking about uh, so on Tuesday, the 17th of February, they did make the decision to dismiss Clark. Uh, Bernard, say Bernard Halford rang him. Clark offered to turn round uh, and come back. Uh, but Clark, uh, you know, Bernard, say, as I say, Bernard said he could wait till the morning. So say Clark didn't feel it could be that important, though obviously his future, he, he's assuming it's a chat with the board to say, what are you going to do to turn things around? And then after the match, um, there's a message on Clark's phone. And it's from uh, one of the Daily Mail guys. And they said, uh, we're running a story tomorrow which says uh, you've been sacked and Joe Rawls taking your place. And um, Clark, I don't know how much of a surprise it came to. I, I doubt it came as much as a surprise to him. But it would have been a bit of a surprise because he was told he wasn't, you know, there's nothing nothing urgent about the, the mo In the morning, uh, it was Andy Buckley on GMR broke broke the news that Clark had been sacked and Royal had been appointed. And at this point, Clark's not been told. <laughs> and if you remember the all the fuss that went on when we appointed uh, Roberto Mancini and about how we, uh, how we, you know, this false story, I think that was in the mail as well, about him sit, Mancini sitting in the stand while Hughes was still the manager, which was proven to be false, and I think we sued over that. Um, so, so we sacked the manager. We've appointed a new one. It's, the, the press know about it, and the manager hasn't, the outgoing manager hasn't been told. And, um, you know, if um, it's just an extraordinary situation. But of course, so, so that's that's that's, you know, two days after this defeat by Barry, uh, three days after this defeat by Barry, the David Macon rant on GMR, 
Clark's out, Royal is in. But Fran is still at this point chairman. But there's obviously things going on behind the scenes. And uh, um, it, it's um, basically it's another month before uh, middle middle of March uh, before Franny res actually resigns as chairman. John Wardle's formally appointed as a director and David Bernstein becomes chairman. So, so kind of that's the end of the Franny Lee era. But of course, you know, it, it's not the end of the, the, the city saga, really, because of, uh, but but let, let's stop at that point and how how kindly did uh, Franny Lee take uh, take to to losing his position, Bernard? Yeah, I think to be honest with you, it was sort of if you, you think of all the furore around Swales and obviously the, the soul supposed threats to the family and all this sort of thing. I, I think I think Franny uh, sort of uh, I, I had some newspaper cuttings from the time, and once it happened, there was there wasn't really that much to be honest with. It sort of uh, fade, sort of faded away quite quickly. Uh, there wasn't any big furore about it in the newspapers as such as there was when he took over. Um, I, th I think, probably, I mean, obviously, as you say, I think you tried to get Francis Lee on and stuff like this, didn't you? I mean, it, it, it's such a shame. I mean, it's a bit, if you, if you like, it's a bit like the Solskjaer situation. He's always a legend to us City fans and to see fans wanting him out, etc., etc. But I think once this stubborn, as they say, he was called stubborn and everything like that. But uh, once the writing was on the wall, I think he suddenly realised that, uh, that just just to go and and leave it at that, you know, obviously there's been books written since and stuff like that. But uh, from a fan's point of view, from our point of view, um, we weren't overly disappointed, which seems a sad thing to say at the time. Uh, and I think what made that we weren't disappointed was the fact that uh, Joe Royal had come in and uh, certainly for the first three or four games, uh, we looked as though we had a bit of a mini revival and everything would look good again, you know. So we were convinced that, uh, you know, it, it was all got to turn out right in the end. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't remember too much uh, whether Colin can remember any more stuff on Francis Lee. It wasn't any... As you know, yeah. the Swales thing sort of dragged on for a while, didn't it? I, I didn't think I didn't get that feeling from when Francis Lee left. No, no, no. It was all very quiet. Yeah. You, know, the, you know, there was free the thirty thousand, and as you say, the demo after the Berry game, but it it wasn't as you know. It was a bit like yeah, you can compare it to recent events at United with with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, where you know everyone knew the end was coming at some point, but mm. um, when it came, it was almost seen as inevitable. No, no one. Uh, and again, we, you know, we 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 did, we still do have the greatest regard for Franny as a hero, um, and um, and I think that that kind of tempered the reaction in many ways, in the same way that it did with Solskjaer. Everyone knew he was out on his ear; he wasn't good enough. Um, but, and it was the same with, you know, he but he was a hero to United fans, and and you know, everyone still, you can have an opinion on Franny's chairmanship, but everyone. You know, Franny is still loved by fans of the club. Thing is, as well, uh, guys, with, with Franny Lee, as I said, we mentioned Royal earlier, didn't we? Where with the fact he did have the opportunity to join. So, if Franny Lee, had, he was there then when uh, Royal, you know, he wanted Royal in the first place uh, seasons before, you know, but he was still obviously stayed at Oldham. I mean, how different could it have been? Obviously, we could we saw what Royal could do with City when when he eventually got going the season after this one. But uh, you know, how different could things have been for Francis Lee and, and City? You know, it would have been a, a total different different story of Royal had, had uh, sort of uh, left Oldham when, when we first approached him and it would but it's amazing just to think back that it might have been all so different 
Colin, um, let's do justice to the man. Um, he did have some achievements. He obviously takes credit for King Kladze, and he takes credit, uh, I think, for stadium, stadium improvements. And what do you remember as his uh, beneficial um, contribution to Manchester City? Well, obviously, ending the Peter Swales era. Um, yep. Which, you know, there was a lot of um, that was dragging the club down. And I think, uh, as we said at the start of the podcast, him together with Mike Turner had made a tremendous effort to improve things financially and commercially at the club. He did a financial restructuring of the club. Um, you know, there was, there was building the superstore from that little you know, front room of the, someone's house. Um, they, um, you know, they spent money on the on the kipaps, didn't they? And you know, it was. It, I think he he went to you know he brought in people he brought in people who were in business. And as I say, I think my, uh, two of the people on his uh, in his little cohort on the board were David Holt, John Dunkley, who had, uh, David Holt was certainly one of my dad's clients and friends. Ran a very successful business. Same with John Dunkley, I think. Um, so you know, these were people who knew how business worked, and they'd gone through this financial restructuring, done a, I say, a rights issue for the shares, raised a lot of money, um, but ultimately, you know, the, it wasn't enough. And, and I'm going to give Fenny some credit because I think Swales had ripped, it ripped the heart out of the club financially, commercially, and I think it was too, it was just too big a job unless you had vast resources. Colin, can I just ask you, the, uh, when Franny Lee came in, obviously you've got to do some due diligence and check all the things. I mean, obviously things came to light after after Franny Lee took over. Yeah. I mean, was was there a lack of, of diligence? You know, was he that desperate to take hold of it that he, he took on certain risks and he knew things had happened or hadn't happened and he put himself in a bit of trouble from the start by you know by being so keen to get Swales out and obviously for the supporters for himself did it did he sort of make mistakes when he took over and he, things weren't quite right but he accepted it said well we'll sort it out when we get in there I mean was he aware of these things I'm sure I'm sure he must have known of these problems about selling certain assets off and stuff that we did uh, before mm. that was was that the problem as well where he, he didn't quite realize what he was taking on but he thought well I've got to have to do it now you know uh, I'm committed uh, so I'll have to do it but it, it left him with it with trouble going forward obviously do you think there was an element of that to it as well I, I do yeah uh, and I think if Franny was sat here with us uh, he would say uh, you know I did it with the best of intentions you know I saw the club being, you know, uh, going down the tube with Swales, who completely mismanaged it. Uh, 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 and I think he knew there was a problem. I don't, I think he would say, I didn't realise the extent of the problems till we actually, because the books can only tell you so much. Um, you know, I've actually, um, at, at about that time, um, I, I'd changed jobs end of 98. So, so uh, and I was working for one of the real top consultancies. Uh, and we were doing doing due diligence on a big takeover in the insurance market. And, and you know, you can only go and look at, I remember being locked in a room in a solicitor's, one of the big solicitor's offices in London, um, w- with another guy who turned out to be the finance director of the company we, our client was taking over, which I found out afterwards. You're not allowed to talk, you know, not allowed to say anything or um, do anything. And, um, you know, you, but you're there looking at black and white, stuff in black and white in documents and contracts and accounts and stuff, stuff like that. But you can only see so much. 
No, um, and I think with, with, with Franny, if we were sat here, as I say, I think he'd say, I, I knew there was a problem, because well, he knew there was a problem because he wanted to take over. But I don't, I, I would say in, in his defence, he didn't realise how deep-rooted the problems were. He tells his story about uh, just having taken over and someone came to him and said, the hot water boiler's not working. And um, he, he went to have a look at it, wasn't it? But we didn't, didn't at that time have the money to fix it. So I think you've got, you've got to give Franny credit. Uh, as well, you reported at the beginning of the podcast, he said others will judge his chairmanship. Uh, ultimately, uh, it, I guess you've got to say it was a failure, but, you know, everything has a, you know, life has a cycle, everything has an impact. Um, it got David Bernstein in, um, you know, everything happened for the best. Uh, and I think, you know, you, you might judge Franny's chairmanship as a failure. And in terms of in terms of kind of obviously on the field, definitely it was because we ended up in League Two for the first time in our history. But I, I, I think he, he had the best of intentions. And I think he saw, and again, just compare them to our, our neighbours, you know, over the, the other side of the ship canal. Um, the, the Glazers saw a commercial opportunity at United. And I think Fanny saw a commercial opportunity at City. He saw a club that had been badly run, but by a guy who was, you know, small minded. More, more interested in preserving his own position for for a while than actually doing anything for the club. And I think he saw an underused asset there with a bit of refinancing, a bit of work, a bit of TLC, you know, bringing some expertise could actually be uh, could make make him him and his partners some money. Um, but, but you know, I'm going to give him some credit. He did have a genuine love for the club. Obviously, still does. Uh, I've not seen him at a game for a while. Uh, uh, he used to bump into him in in the car park, but. Uh, once or twice, but um, I, I, I think he still comes to games, doesn't he? I'm not sure. I know he hasn't been very well, but um, you know he loves the club, uh, and I think that that love was genuine, as opposed to Swales, who his love of the club. I, you know, it sounds very cruel. His love of the club w- was more about his love for himself. Um, it, it, it was professed rather than real. Uh, it was, you know, uh, and I think Fran, but I think Fran's love for the club is real. Uh, still is, and. I think it was just too difficult a job for him. But, but as it, everything turns out, everything turned out well in the end. David Bernstein came as a chairman. David started to build us up with John Wardle and David Macon's backing. Didn't get in his way particularly. Uh, and really, until we got to the, the, the kind of the Kevin Keegan, Robbie Fowler era, we were well on the up. Mm-hmm. Bernard, um, one thing that I've got to ask, uh, because it's been asked um on the Bolt from the Blue uh, website is, um, was Franny in any way responsible for squad bloating? Because I remember that Joe Royal complained about the fact that we got about 40 senior pros um, Mm. on the books. Was that uh, down to him or was that something that happened before he came in? Well, it started to build, hadn't it? Uh, but obviously, it'd been it'd been totally expanded when Franny Lee was there. I mean, the thing is, what we could have done with at this time was uh, windows, couldn't we? We could have done with transfer windows where we had to do business in a, in, a, in a few in a in a month because it was absolutely ridiculous. As I say, thirty eight players uh, took the field for City in this season, ninety seven, ninety eight, and I've got the. Um, 
one of Gary James's a complete record. It only goes up to two thousand and four, I think. But I mean, I can't see another season where we got. I think the season before was about thirty-ish or something like that. So yeah, I mean, while Franny was there, he sort of was creeping up all the time. It was desperation for me. It was desperation bringing these players in. We didn't do. Uh, we were a bit unlucky on injuries, uh, to be honest with you. Every every time I look at this sort of period in our in our history, it's, we seem to struggle with injuries a lot. Uh, so obviously, whose fault's that? Is that just pure luck, or perhaps we're not perhaps got these right guys in the right places for for fitness and stuff like this? But uh, yeah, I mean, it was and with so many different managers. Of course, of course, you're going to bring in different players. You know, every manager's got his own idea. I mean, Koppel would have brought in some who was allowed, wouldn't it? Let's be honest about it. We would have, would have had even more players on the books if it was left to uh, Steve Koppel to if it Franny Lee had given him some money. So yeah, I think uh, these years, yeah, I think if you do look through the records, uh, it definitely had had an influence on that. But I wasn't. It wasn't for any other reason than to try and find some sort of blend to try and try and get us out of the mire because we we're constantly firefighting weren't we guys at this stage so that's all they were looking for that magical ingredient or perhaps that one player who wasn't overly fantastic at say at another club all of a sudden it becomes magical at City you know your, your Bradbury's of this world who obviously came into into this I mean we paid what was it three million quid or something like that yeah, for this guy and, yeah, and over half a million he would have we, we actually had on international appearances as well which I don't think happened but <laughs> thankfully but uh, you know that that was the thing and we just hope these guys would suddenly turn it round and I, yeah yes it did happen but I, I think for thoroughly uh, for reasons we can see why it happened, but obviously it did end up as as Joe Royal said, it was, it was just a nightmare for him when it when he took over the number of players on the books. Well, Colin, let's finish on this point. Uh, can we at least give Franny uh, credit for King Clubsy? Is it true? Let's lay this myth, this myth or this truth to bed once and for all. Is it true that um, that uh, when Alan Ball was the manager, Franny watched? King Cladsey play against England in one or or against another international team, and on the basis of that, decided to bring him in. I don't know. Uh, to, is the honest answer? Um, the stories about I think the stories about so, someone put someone playing for England, or someone saw a video of him or something and decided to bring him in. But uh, to be honest, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Well, no, that's no problem, guys, because uh, one. Sean Gota was a, a, a Franny Lee acquisition, or yeah. an acquisition from the Franny Lee era in that 97-98 season, who went on to make a bit of a name for himself, of course. And yeah, we brought, brought Sean Gota in about the last, the last what, eight or ten games or something like that, I think, uh, that season, but uh, obviously too late to say it was, unfortunately. Yeah. But, uh, is that season as well at the end, but we're not talking about that, are we? Now, but uh, there are some interesting ironies in in how it all panned out as well with the teams in and around us. So, uh, of, of that season, and, and of course, the ultimate irony was come the last day of the season, we're playing at Stoke, uh, who were in the bottom five with us. So, so they Stoke are one point above us, and Port Vale and Portsmouth are also on forty six points, the same as Stoke. We're on 45. Reading are down at this point. We're in 23rd, say on 45. Three teams on 46, including Stoke, who were playing, and Portsmouth, who were managed by Alan Ball. <laughs> and, uh, we've got to beat Stoke and hope that one of Portsmouth or Portsmouth <laughs> drop points. Uh, and, of course, Portsmouth, Alan Ball's Portsmouth won their game. And uh, so, so, basically, Alan Ball kind of got his revenge uh, if, if, if you see, if you want to look at it that way, 
and uh, that 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 win effectively condemned us to League Two. A couple of other ironies, guys. I mean, as well as that Alan Ball thing, uh, Sharon scored. Mike Sharon scored for QPR in the two-two game with the famous, of course, uh, Pollock uh, on goal. He's got Mike Sharon scored in that. And Trevor Francis, of course, Birmingham was in charge of Birmingham when they beat us at Main Road towards the end, which obviously put another nail in our coffin at, at that stage. So, you know, it was sort of... Uh, and the lap of honour at Main Road was excellent in front of 32,000 fans at the end of uh, of that last home game. But uh, there you go. There, I think that was our biggest crowd of the season uh, for that game. As I said, it's uh, uh, we look forward to the next season after that, didn't we, guys? Let's be honest about it. <laughs> well, yeah, as we said, it was uh, Friday's reign ended in failure in many ways, but it was the start of better times. It was indeed. It was indeed. Well, uh, guys, luckily we have one good friend of the BFTB pod, uh, uh, a guy by the name of Dr. Gary James, who will fact check check us, and he, he will certainly uh, be able to answer any questions we we weren't able to. To answer, he'll give his comments. I can I can promise you of that. And um, that's it, guys. That's it for the end of the Franny Lee years. Now we've got we're going to move forward. I don't know when we're going to get it started, but the next project that we're going to get into is the Joel Royal years, and uh, we'll get into that sometime in the not too distant future. Uh, but uh, for the time being, we'll just keep chugging away with churning out pods on the latest city games. And the next game that we are going to be concerned with, Bernard, is who and where and when? Yeah, well, the next game, obviously, is West Ham, isn't it? The, the, the old Amers are uh, at the Etihad uh, tomorrow on Sunday, as we're recording this. Sunday the 28th, is it? 28th of yeah. uh, November. Okay. So, yeah, um, yeah, we've got a, we've got a little... Um, We've got a bone to pick with them, haven't we, guys, nicking our cup? So uh, we're going to have to sort of make them suffer tomorrow. We're not having this. We're not having them rolling up and thinking, getting all cocky. We'll have to uh, sort these guys out. So, yes, hopefully we'll be back with uh, with exciting news after that and we put them in their, well and truly in their place. Fingers crossed, guys. Fingers crossed. Of course, the, the interesting thing is with West Ham sitting in the uh, top four now, aren't they? And uh, yeah. they're fourth, just behind Liverpool. It seems that David Moyes is a football genius after all. <laughs> Guys, you have been listening to the Bolt from the Blue podcast, and we're just going to thank uh, our two uh, experts here. And uh, first of all, uh, Bernard Deneen, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's been a pleasure, mate. I mean, I say it was a, an iconic season, but I said that I, I seem to remember other seasons in fa- in a far worse light than that. Even though it was, a, it was the lowest, lowest of the lower, it seemed to be. It was. Uh, hey, I, I think we had fun. I think the fans had fun in a in a sort of gallery sort of way. To be honest with you. Yeah, tipping the hat to Ricky Hatton there, and uh, also you've been listening to. Someone we've been very, very proud uh, to have on our pod, Colin Savage. Yeah, I mean, it was great to um, reminisce about those years and particularly, you know, that extraordinary phone call to GMR by David <laughs> um, you know, I mean, How many other clubs have <laughs> experienced something like that? And of course, Frank Clark being sacked without a clue, of, uh, uh, you know, being replaced... <laughs> Without a clue about you know he's sacking and uh, yeah yeah uh, oh that's that's why we love this club isn't it? Happy days guys, happy days. So let's uh, wrap it up here. We'll be back with you after West Ham with uh, probably the full A team. We'll do our best. Until then, you know what I'm going to say, and that is have one on us and up the Blues. <laughs>